0: be with you, my friends. Today, we finally have arrived at Pentecost Sunday, and by that I mean we have traveled through the depths of winter to see the return of the sun to warm the earth and have now received the first fruits of the season. Yes, in many parts of the southern United States, the first fruits of the season, things such as sweet corn, vine-ripened tomatoes, and fresh, luscious strawberries have arrived. Just two days ago, as I record this, we were traveling through North Carolina, and we had the opportunity to pick our own strawberries from the farmer's field, bringing them home and prepare them for fresh strawberry shortcake. And believe me, it sure was yummy. And so it is with Pentecost Sunday. Now any first century Jew knew Pentecost meant it was 50 days since the spring Passover feast and planting of the spring crops. So Pentecost was an agricultural feast, a celebration of the first fruits of the season. Not only a celebration of the first fruits, but an opportunity also to pray and to thank the Lord for the much larger harvest that was yet to come. However, Passover and Pentecost were not merely agricultural feast days. No, each rang of echoes from significant encounters with the God of heaven, specifically the time of the Israelite exodus from bondage in Egypt. Passover being the time when the lambs had been slaughtered and their blood painted over the doorposts of their homes, signifying to the destroying angel to pass over the household and allowing those within to escape the final plague of death to the firstborn of the family. And then that very night, the Israelites packed up their belongings and fled from bondage only to run into the Red Sea. It was at the Red Sea that the Lord God Almighty rolled back the water, allowing the Israelites to safely travel through to the other side. And then, as they arrived on the other side, Lord God Almighty allowed the waters to roll back and cover the Egyptian army as they pursued the Israelites, bringing the very apparent present danger to an end. Then, 50 days after the Israelites' departure from Egypt, or Pentecost, the Israelites found themselves at Mount Sinai, where Moses went up the mountain, and then came down Mount Sinai with the law. The law of the Ten Commandments, written upon tablets of stone. The law then becoming guiding principles for this new way of life, outside of bondage, the bondage they had found themselves in in Egypt. And so all of that and more keeps peeping out from behind the scenes as we read from Acts chapter 2 verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, you see Luke is assuming that his first century readers understood that this small band of believers locked in an upper room in the city of Jerusalem were like the first fruits of the season, the first to receive the power of the Holy Spirit as a forecast to the great harvest of people of God yet to come. And also, like Moses going up to Mount Sinai to meet with God, then to descend Mount Sinai with the law of a new way of living, Jesus has ascended to meet with God. And then Jesus' spirit descends from heaven to earth to bring down the new law of how God's people are to live. Not a law written on stone tablets, but a new law of love given through the dynamic energy of the Spirit of God to be written on the hearts of God's people. And so with all of that floating around in the background, we have what is sometimes known today as the birth of the church or Pentecost. Yet as we comfortably read Acts chapter 2 from our chosen church pew or soft easy chair, we become like those watching Jim Cantore on the Weather Channel. You all know of Jim Cantore on the Weather Channel, right? Imagine that Jim has traveled once again to the area of a raging hurricane or a blazing wildfire while we, well-fed, sheltered, and comfortable, watching from our family room easy chair, think, oh my, that must be horrific, while never once feeling the effects of gale force winds in our faces or smelling the smoke of a burning forest in our nostrils. Luke's desire is indeed for us to feel the wind and smell the smoke. For us, this is a great day of celebration and rejoicing to allow the wind of the Holy Spirit to sweep through our minds, renew our hearts, and to set ablaze our spirits with the love of God, to bring new life, new creation to not only individuals, but to communities as well. To merely read the story and not seek to feel the wind or smell the smoke would be missing the point of the entire gospel story. We can only imagine how terrifying and frightening, yet somewhat exhilarating, these images of wind and fire must have been to those who first had this happen to them, to those who first experienced them. And yet I can only imagine how to some of you, how terrifying and frightening, yet to some very exhilarating, how this would be if it were to happen to you or to us as a community right here in our own little gathering in in Palmer, Alaska. Many of us would be scared to death if in fact a great wind came rushing down Alaska Street, bringing with it all the inhabitants of Vagabond Blues Coffee Shop, And then that wind resting here in our midst where we were to find what looked like small blazing fires of the spirit of the living God resting upon our heads. And then each of us speaking in a foreign tongue and those from the coffee shop thinking that we in the Episcopal Church had dipped into our sacramental wine just a bit too much and way too early. Yet in some ways, for not only the Episcopal Church in Palmer, Alaska, but the church in general, the whole, the entire church, something radically similar may need to take place to awaken a world that has fallen drastically numb to the ways of God, to a world more in tune with its screen time than with their neighbor's needs. Yet as we read further on in the book of Acts, we see the Spirit of the Living God working quietly, patiently, behind the scenes to bring about great change, great renewal in the lives of many in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. And so it will be with many of us here in Alaska as we quietly, patiently, and behind the scenes in many, many ways bring the good news of the gospel into the lives of those within our community. That work will bear fruit and be part of the great harvest which springs forth from those first fruits of Pentecost. The work of transforming lives, renewing hearts, and setting spirits ablaze with new life, new creation. No, wind and fire are not necessarily the norm, But we must be ready, even expecting the work of the Holy Spirit to work in such a way. Nor should we simply say, hey, whoa, I'm part of the quiet crowd of witnesses. God will utilize both methods of bringing his word into the world. Our position is to be ready for God to employ either or maybe both methods. It is important also that we notice that this wind and this fire comes to us, not from anything we have done or started, but it comes to us from heaven. God, our God, is not about creating obstacles and roadblocks for us to overcome, for us to find ways to appease this God by earning our way into heaven, but God Our God, since the creation story in Genesis, God's desire is to come from heaven to earth to dwell with his creation, his people. And so here, once again, as Jesus has ascended to heaven, the first fruit of new creation, the first fruit from earth to join with God, now the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of the living God, returns to earth, joining with us, living with us, the theological significance of Jesus being fully human is here found out, played out perhaps. Jesus is the first fruits of new creation. The new Adam has ascended to be with God. The Holy Spirit then descends to dwell with us. It is a joining together then of heaven and earth. It is two halves becoming one whole. One half of this whole is our release from bondage of sin to live new life, to live new creation. The other half, then, is God's Spirit now able to dwell with us. For us, this means that even though we remain here on earth, we are to live the lives of new creation in Christ. This living in new creation, then, with the law of love written on our hearts for one another, is to be so attractive to those in bondage to sin that they too would flee death and come to new life in Christ. The first gift of the Holy Spirit, then, of speaking in a language which was understood by all, is merely the first gift launching a fleet of gifts into the church like a great wind launching a fleet of ships out to sea, or from a small spark of oxygen, fuel, and heat, a great blaze beginning to grow, so too are the gifts of the Holy Spirit spread upon the church. Not all have the gift of speaking in tongues, but as we see in the book of Acts, the gifts of teaching, preaching, healing, serving, administration, praying, as well as other gifts, are used to bring about the vast harvest of the people of God. and None of us should be in any way jealous or envious of someone else's gift, nor should we be prideful in our own unique giftedness. Each of us should rejoice in each other's gifts and skills. It takes all of us to grow the church. It isn't just one gift from above reaching into the world but the use of all the gifts of the Spirit which brings the harvest in. As we work together then, each using his or her own unique gifts, the first fruits of Pentecost will bring about the great harvest of the people of God. And so today, we live as members of the fruit of the great harvest. We who have called upon the name of the Lord through our baptism are benefactors of those who were of the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. With that blessing, that benefit of knowing God, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Now comes the opportunity to live our lives in such a way that attracts others to join this throng of heavenly hosts. The question becomes, do we have the courage to say, Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come and breathe upon us with the wind of life and the fire of Your love. Come and be with us, living within us, so that we may truly love God with all our hearts, souls, mind, and strength, and so that we may love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Amen.